I would invite your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. The winter Bible study book this year is the book of Ephesians, and through January we'll be speaking in the mornings on four of the great themes of Ephesians, but on Wednesday nights, Dr. Hip will be leading us through the winter Bible study, and for those of you who like an in-depth uh, study of Ephesians, I encourage you to come on Wednesday evening throughout the month of January and the first week in February, and uh, he will be teaching the book of Ephesians on the winter Bible study. This is one of Paul's books, of course, and like many of Paul's books, he follows a, fairly, a fairly basic theme, a Pauline theme. There are six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and the first three are uh, doctrinal, as Paul often handles it. The last three are practical. So uh, Paul always merges. He does that in the book of Romans. He merges the doctrinal and uh, then moves to the practical. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians have to do with the believer's wealth in Christ, all the riches that we have. And the last three chapters deal with the believer's walk in Christ. The first three chapters deal with the believer's uh, standing before the Lord. And the last three chapters deal with the believer's state before the Lord. What is our practical condition before him? And Paul opens the book of Ephesians with a statement of praise for what, he, what God has given to every believer, and he sets a challenge of praise for us. There is the salutation and the opening in verses 1, 2, and 3. And then from verses 3 through 14 is his opening salvo of praise. It is the language of worship and praise. And Paul carves out for us a means by which we are to carefully give praise to God. Sometimes when I listen to us pray, I wonder if God understands us, if God catches what we're saying. You know, if we can misunderstand each other, and you and I sometimes have a hard time making sure what God is saying, imagine God trying to interpret our prayer sometimes. Lord, I just want to thank you for just being so good just today, and just to help us, and just, and I wonder what God thinks of all that. Have you ever thought about that? Do we communicate to God what we really think and feel in praise for him? Heard about a woman who was at home one morning and a man came to her door. He was a destitute man and he knocked on the door. And he said, lady, I'm hungry and I need some food and I need some money and I'll do anything. She said, can you paint? And he said, yes. She said, well, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. Here's a gallon of green paint. I want you to go around to the back of the house and there's a porch back there. Now paint it carefully and when you're done painting, I'll pay you for what I think it's worth. And in about an hour, he came back and he knocked on the front door and he said, lady, I'm done. And she said, well, did you get it all done? Well, and he said, yeah, but he said, there's one thing that bothers me. He said, you said that was a Porsche and actually it was a Mercedes. <laughs> Are we... <laughs> Are we clear with God about what it is we're saying to him? Are we really saying, Father, here are my prayers? I want to make 1997 a year of praise. And there are seven major praises in these verses that the Apostle Paul sets down as a model for praise for us. And they all relate around one theme. And that theme is, I belong to God. As a church, we belong to God. But as an individual believer, believer, I belong to God. We were in the village tavern and there were several couples there and the waitress said, now how do I sign these checks? 
she asked, who belongs to who? And she looked at me. This is, I did it right one time, one time. <laughs> she said, I know who belongs to you. I said, how do you know? Because I saw you seat her, and I could tell by the way you looked at her. I want to ask you a question. Do you belong to God? And if you belong to God, how do you show that? Seven things. Verse 3 comes the first. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. First, Paul praises God for God's spiritual blessings. All the blessings that you have cannot be placed in your hand. All the blessings that you have cannot be contained in your house. All the blessings that you have cannot be packed in a suitcase. Paul opens this this salvo of praise by saying, A praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with spiritual blessings. Now that means several things. For one, it means that my real blessings are in the spiritual realm. Oh, I love it when God gives me a material or a physical answer to prayer. Don't you? I like that. That's good. But folks, you haven't seen the half of it yet. Most of what God has for us is in the spiritual realm. What it means is it's spiritually. It's the joy he gives us when we worship. It's the joy he gives us when we lead somebody to Christ. It's the joy when we're able to minister in Jesus' name. It's the joy of giving a $10 bill to somebody who's in need. Those are spiritual blessings because they're manifested on a spiritual realm and in the spiritual world. But it means more than that. It means that we are blessed spiritually because these blessings are communicated by God's Spirit. The best blessings we have don't come from each other. They come from the Spirit of God. They're communicated to us by the Spirit. They're told to us by the Spirit. They're explained to us by the Spirit. And that's why they're spiritual blessings, because they're spiritual or they're blessings of the pneumaticos. They're blessings of the Spirit. They come through the Spirit's work in our lives when we let Him lead us that way. They're communicated by the Spirit. But they're also spiritual because they are applied by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives us eyes to see things altogether differently. So that when a Christian ministers to me, I know it's not just the goodness of human nature. It's God in him that is communicating a particular something to us or orchestrating a particular circumstance. I watched this happen in the life of Max and Joan Fur in the last couple of months when they came home from the mission field. Is it all right for me to tell a little of your blessing, Max? <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, we probably will have just one more term. I'm not going to tell you how old he is, but we have one more term. Our term is four years. We have one more term on the mission field, and then we think maybe we'd, uh, it may, might be God's will for us to retire back, back home. And uh, we'd like to find a place that we could buy while we're home here so that when we come back, we won't have to wait. We'll have it all ready. And God opened up a door for a house for a, a place to live that they could buy that just met their needs, that, that God arranged a, 
uh, just a serendipity through uh, Brenda Hutchins, a serendipity of, uh, of a house and a deal and a bargain for a missionary. Amen. I mean, it was a real bargain. And then God opened up somebody to lease their house while they go back to the mission field. And, and Max said to me this morning, he said, it's just all worked out in the hand of the Lord. That's a spiritual blessing that the Holy Spirit helps us to see when he's using other people. A carnal man would look at that and say, ah, oh, everything will turn out all right. But a spiritual man looks at that and says, praise God. God orchestrated those events. You know, can you imagine if you walked around the world standing on your hands? I've ne never been able to stand on my hands too long. I, I used to be able to stand in the middle of the floor on my hands. I don't want to risk that much anymore with my heart, so I haven't done it for a while. My grandchildren used to love it when I did it because all the money would fall out of my pockets. It was a profitable experience for Papa to stand on his head or his hands. But if you stood on your heads and, you, uh, and your hands and you walked around that way, you would see the whole world hanging from the top. <laughs> and you wonder, what's going on? You would see it altogether differently. No Christian ever sees anything the way the world sees it. Our blessings are spiritual. I belong to God, Paul said. And thank God because I belong to him. I have blessings in the realm which the world knows absolutely nothing about. Secondly, look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The second thing Paul praises God for is God's love. Because of his love, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God had made up his mind before he spoke and flung the worlds into existence, that whoever would respond to his love, he would love and he chose those out in advance before the foundation of the world. Somebody said the life of a Christian depends on a love that never began and a love that will never end. Isn't that great? The life of a Christian depends on a love that never began and a love that will never end. A good marriage of a good husband depends on a love that began when he made a covenant and will never end. The life of a good wife depends on her love for her husband when God gave it to her that will never end. So it is with a believer. He chose us in him for two things, that we should be holy, that we should be set apart, that we should be clean, and we should be pure. And secondly, that we should be without any blemish, without any blemish, blameless as it were. Actually, in the book of Ephesians, there are three tenses for God's love. Three tenses of God's love from man's perspective. Turn over here to Ephesians chapter 5 and see those three tenses. What a great theme it is. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the past tense. The past tense is God loved us and gave himself for us. And that would have been enough, amen? Just to know that George Washington died for this country would be enough to motivate us to do some great things. But Christ did far more than that. He loved us and gave himself for us. That's past tense. 
that he might be sanctifying and cleansing the church. That's present tense. That's what he's doing right now. He's cleansing me day by day. He's sanctifying me. He's making me blameless. He's making me holy. He's making me, he's proving me faultless. When I go to him, the blood of Christ cleanses me from sin. And future tense, future tense, that verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. So the love of Jesus for his body has three tenses. He loved us and gave himself for us. He is right now sanctifying us. Thank God for the sanctification process. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. But he's sanctified. And in the future, he's coming for his church. Christ is coming back for us. And there'll be a secret rapture. And there'll be a taking up of the church from the earth. And a catching up to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I thank God for that assurance. The tense of Christ's love for us is past, present, and future, and unending. Notice Paul really ties love with predestination. Predestination essentially refers in the Bible to the elect to be saved. And it's tied to his love. Notice the loving nature. He chose us because he loved us. R.B. Kuyper was doing a series of lectures at Calvin College and somebody asked him to describe the relationship of predestination, God's choice of us, and man's free will. And he said, suppose there were two holes in the ceiling and just above and between those two holes there was a pulley and a rope came over the pulley and on this side, if you hang on it, it's predestination. And if this side, on this rope, if you hang on it, it's free will. If you hang on just one rope at one time, he said, you're going to plop right to the ground. But if you hang on to both ropes at the same time, they will support you and they're both essential. Now that came from the, one of the greatest Calvinist theologians of uh, the past hundred years, Kuiper. So God chose us in love. Have you ever thought about your marriage? Have you ever thought about your marriage? The other night, Shirley was not feeling good. She was just, she had the, she got the Christmas cred too, finally. I knew she was going to get it. I kissed her at the wrong time. You know, there's some blessings you ought not to share, amen? <laughs> I got a letter from a sweet lady last week who said, Pastor, I would advise that we not hold hands at the end of the service anymore. I was next to somebody who had an awful cold, and I know I got a handful of germs when I held hands. Please just let us stand and keep our germs to ourselves. You know the strangest thing? That thought hit me just as I said that last week, because I'd heard people call it, you know, it's wonderful. You should have heard the noises last Sunday. And then it said, now let's all join hands and pass around our blessing. 938 got sick the next three days. But anyway, she couldn't sleep and she was up and I woke up in the middle of the night and looked over and the place was empty. Her place in the bed and I got to thinking to myself, back when I met her when I was 14 years old and we were in an ice cream shop and she had just bought an ice cream cone and I was a smart aleck 14 year old and I grabbed it out of her hand and took a great big bite out of it and said, somebody ought to taste test this for you. It might be poison. <laughs> and she looked at me in a way, and I fell in love with her that day. And really, I've kind of been in love ever since. And I chose her because I loved her. 
I didn't choose her in order to love her. I chose her because I did love her. The only way I knew how to love anybody. And the Bible says, praise God for his love. Don't take God's love for granted. Don't take each other's love for granted. We must learn in the, in the economy of God never to take one another for granted. And don't take the love of God for granted. I belong to God because he gives me spiritual blessings and that proves I'm his. And I belong to God because he chose me in his love. Third, notice in verse 5 God's adoption having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the eudokia, the, the eudokia of his will, of his goodwill, the good pleasure, the good thoughts. Literally what it means is good thinking of his will. Literally. God thinks good thoughts towards us. Now, all of this comes because Christ is his own son, which is why Paul prefaces in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father by nature. The three are one and the one are three. But in Christ and because of our relationship to him, God adopts us into his family. And under Roman law, the adopted son has all the rights and privileges of the natural son. So it, because of our relationship to Christ, we have everything that Christ has. We have the glory that Christ has. We have the right to be in the presence of the Father through Christ. We have access to God in prayer through Christ. We have security of knowing that we'll be with him forever and eternity because of Christ. Everything Jesus has, I have. Everything you have, he has. And this gave him great pleasure. Have you ever been able to do something for your children? And you were able to do it, and then you sat back and said, boy, that made me feel good. I'm so glad I could do that. I am so thankful that God enabled me to do that. Good thoughts, because you were able to do something good. That's what God has done. Paul says, I praise God that I'm in God's family. I'm adopted. By nature, I'm a sinner. By nature, I'm outside of God. I'm only a child of God by creation. But when I confess my sin and receive Christ, I'm adopted into his family and given everything Christ has. I was counseling a young lady one time who stopped me in the middle of the counseling session and she said, I wish I could have been one of your daughters. Have you got room in your family for me? Yeah, it kind of broke my heart and then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, she's paying me a compliment, isn't she? And then I thought, oh, no, it's, it's, it just can't quite be like it is with God. He adopted us by legal right, by legally the work of Christ. He adopted us into his family so that Christ, who is his by nature, is equal with us. And we are co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And we have everything that Christ has, the right to stand in the presence of God. I have it. I just haven't claimed it yet. When this life is done, I'll claim it. So I want to praise God because I belong to him. And I belong to him because I've been adopted into his family and have all the rights that Christ has. And I praise him that I'm adopted. The fourth thing Paul praises God for is his kindness in verses 6, 7, and 8. Actually, it's his grace, but grace expressed is translated by many as kindness in the context. 
to the praise of the glory of his, underline the word. What is it, class? Grace. By which he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his, what, class? Underline it again. Grace. In which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He is abounding toward us. I want to praise God this morning for God's kindness. Kindness is the grace of God expressed. You may tell me you believe in grace, but when you express it, you show me kindness. You may tell me that you believe in mercy, but when you express it, you show me your kindness. And so here is the kindness of God. In verse 7, the, the kindness of God grants us redemption and forgiveness the payment of a ransom. Sin had claimed me. According to the riches of his grace, he paid out a ransom, which was the blood of Christ, in order to buy us back. He has given me, uh, in verse 8, uh, he has made to abound toward me through his grace all wisdom and prudence. I have that because I am ransomed, in verse 7. And all of that is because he has made us, in verse 6, accepted in the beloved. I went through the Greek in that last week and it looked interesting. If I really read it, I would, I would read it this way. I am charised in the agopaod. <laughs> I am graced in the loved, the much, much loved agapao love. Because God loves Christ and I have everything Christ has. God loves me in the same way. Now there are four things about, about agapao love. Always remember. Agapao love is sacrificial love. There's a price for it. Agapao love is unconditional love. You don't say, now when you straighten up, I'm going to love you. You love no matter what the condition is. That's the way God did us. Agapao love is love that loves without any idea of a reward. Parents make a horrible mistake when you put conditions on your love for your children. And fourthly, love, agapao love, is willful love. It's not a feeling that you turn on. There's not a love spigot. There's not a love spout here. It is love by an act of the will. I choose to love you. Even if I don't feel like it, I still love you. In the power and in the name of Christ, I love you. And I'm accepted in the beloved. You know, there are at least four things all of us need. Every child needs affirmation. Every child needs approval. Every child needs authority. You can't raise a child without some authority. Amen. Just remember that, Tim. Can't raise any child without some. Child's got to know there's authority. When you get that strong-willed child, you, anybody ever raised a strong-willed child? Because you were a strong-willed child? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, every child needs acceptance. That child needs to know that no matter what he does, he is still going to be accepted as your child. And you know the wonderful thing about God, I don't care how your parents treated you, I don't care what kind of home you came from, the wonderful thing about the love of God is that his grace towards me expressed means I am always accepted. There is never a time, no matter what I've done, imagine the worst thing I've done, I am still accepted in the beloved. I belong to him. And therefore, 
because I belong to him. I know that because he has expressed his kindness and I've watched him accept me no matter what I did or where I went or how bad I was or what mistake I made. There is never a performance that is so bad that you erase God's love for you. Somebody has said that the reason God made the past is to give us a place to hide our sins and mistakes. Now hear that. The reason God made a past is to give us a place to hide our sins and mistakes when they've been covered by the blood of Christ and confessed and forgiven. Put them behind you and move on. Amen? I belong to God because God gives me spiritual blessings. I belong to God because of his kindness. Fifth, I belong to God because of God's plan and I want to praise him for his plan. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his plan, his thelema, his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, there was a mystery. There was a mystery. It's a mousterion that is hidden up to a point, and then the curtain is pulled, and we see what it is. And up to this point in history, Paul said, God had a plan that he'd had since the beginning of the world. And the plan was that he would put the Jews and the Gentiles together in one body, the church. He would put us together. Look at verse 10. That in the right time, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he would gather in, together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in him. God's plan was designed long ago. Verse 4 says, before the foundation of the world. God's plan was centered in Christ. Verse 10. God's plan is according to his good will, his good pleasure. And verse 12 tells us that we Jews, Paul says, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, in him, you Gentiles also trusted. He's writing to essentially a Gentile church. So God's wonderful plan was that he was going to take us into the body and he's going to make us all one. He's going to take the Jew, where, where he just poured out his blessing to Israel. Now he pours out his blessing to Jew and Gentile alike. What a plan. <sighs> I never fully always understood my dad's plans. I know there's no way to fully explain all the dreams I have for this church. But trust me, there's a plan. The father had a plan. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was trying to accomplish. And he gave his grace to the Jews as a witness and then gave his grace to the Gentiles. And now in the body of Christ, he has made one body and we're all one. Hold your hand here and turn right back over to Galatians, just to the left, to Galatians chapter 3. And read carefully verse 27 and 28. As many of as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ... And baptized here is the bapto. It's the, it's a, that's, that's why we Baptists, one reason we Baptists are immersionists. The word bapto means to plunge under, to dip. Baptizo is an intensive form. So it's a dyer's term. I take a piece of cloth 
this handkerchief and I drop it into the dye. I submerge it or dip it or bopto it into the dye. And as it goes into the dye, if the dye is red dye, the white cloth takes on the nature that it's immersed in and now becomes what, class? What does it become? Red cloth. So there's a union of two natures, the nature of red and the nature of cloth. And that's what he's saying. We've been baptized into Christ spiritually. We've been put into him and he surrounds us and fills us and, and now we have a union of our nature and Christ's nature in the one, verse 28. Now having been there and having been baptized into the same spirit, notice, there is neither in the body of Christ, that's what he's referring to in verse 26, there is neither Jew and there is not Greek. There is neither slave, nor is there free. There is neither male, nor is there female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In relation to our rights and privileges before God, we are one. You can be rich, you're one. You can be poor, you're one. You can be male, you're one. You can be female, you're one. You can be slave, you're one. You can be free, you're one. Now, in a strange way, just as in a marriage, two become one. And yet they remain two distinct personalities, but there's a spiritual union that cannot be broken. In the body of Christ, we are one. Now, I'm still a man. When I became a Christian, I stayed a man. Amen? Ermy, you're still a man. Amen? Hope so. <laughs> and John, you're still a man. Amen? Even though you're a Christian, you're in Christ. You're still a man. But in terms of how I love you, it makes no difference whether you're a man or a woman. That should be in the body of Christ. And some of us make more money than others. But in terms of the body of Christ, it makes no difference how much money we make. That's what Paul is saying in the body. God's plan was to put us as one in this church. I don't care whether you make $300,000 a year or $10,000 a year. What does make a difference is whether you honor God with what you have. Amen? He doesn't expect you to honor him with what you don't have. He only expects you to honor him with what you have. And on our deacons throughout the history of this church, we have always done that. And there is equal voice and equal right for all, no matter who they are. And that's what Paul says about the body. That's what gives the church an eternal point of view. Time doesn't make any difference because that's the way we're going to be in heaven. And we're going to be treating each other now on earth as it is in heaven for all eternity. We're one. When we get to glory, we'll be the church, the body of Christ, one before God. James Melville Washington said his grandmother taught him this. He said, just remember this, grandson. Every boss is temporary. Every rainy day is temporary. Every hardship is temporary. Son, she said, every goodbye ain't gone. <laughs> Hold on. There's joy in the morning. One of the things that gives the church the heavenly perspective is that we're to treat each other now like we'll be in glory. There won't be any, you won't have any Dockers labels on your britches. You won't have any Nautica labels on your jacket. You won't have Calvin Klein on your jeans. We'll all be one in glory. Amen? 
talk about uniforms in school in heaven. We're going to have angelic uniforms and there'll be no trademarks and no labels sticking out on the edge with which we can brag about our standing in life because we're one. I belong to God because I'm in his plan and he's already worked that out for me. I'm in his plan and you're in his plan. Sixth note, verse 11, if you will, in chapter 1. Today I want to praise God for his inheritance. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I have an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance because we've been marked out ahead of time according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, here comes the question. Uh, my inheritance is in Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. It comes because of Christ. Now, here comes the question. Am I God's inheritance in the sense that I'm to bless him? And there's a sense in which that is true. Or is God my inheritance? My walk with him, my relationship with him, my joy of being with him, is that the riches he's given me? Every time I think of inheritance, I think of a dumb thing I did one time when I told you I had an aunt that I just wanted to see if you'd bite. I had an aunt that left me $15 million. And we decided that we were going to split it three ways. Going to, Give five million to the Lord, five million to my children, and five, keep five million for us. And you bid on that hook, line, and sinker. And then I got embarrassed, and I had to, you got up and applauded me and thanked me for the five million. And then I had to tell you, this is only a supposed illustration, <laughs> an inheritance. Now take your Bibles and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now watch what God says about his people in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 32. In verse 8, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples. He's talking about the tribes. And the land he gave them was the inheritance of the tribes. Earthly Israel had earthly inheritance. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Now watch verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Now, there is a sense in which God looks at us as his inheritance that will come someday and be claimed in glory when he comes for us. There's a sense in, in which while all that God has done in our lives is to bless the Lord and be his inheritance. In other, in other words, we're his property. We're his belongings. And there is a sense in which we have obtained that place in God's kingdom. And God looks to us to bless his name. Say, how can I add anything to God? You can't add anything to God. You can't take away anything from God. But what it does mean is you can bless him. And when you bless him, that's his delight. And then go on over to Psalm 16. And you see, again, the idea. Psalm 16, verse 5. You, O Lord, are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines, now here he analogizes with an earthly inheritance of land. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, 
I have a good inheritance. See, and he takes an analogy of inheriting a farm or a piece of land and says, Lord, you're my portion. You're my inheritance. So really, in, the, in the scriptural terms, biblical terms, that idea is both there. We are the Lord's inheritance and the Lord is our inheritance. And ultimately to stand in his presence for all eternity is our blessing. God has given us that. And those that go on to be with the Lord have already inherited their portion. They're no longer seeing God through a glass darkly, but now face to face. They're standing in his presence. There's that wonderful sense in which God is my inheritance and he's all I need. Publisher's Clearinghouse envelope came in the mail the other day. Had $11 million on the front. It was addressed to Shirley R. Courts. And it had Dick Clark's picture on the front, Ed McMahon's picture. How would you like for us to drive up to your house and give you $11 million? I could just see her coming down in her night robe and her curlers. She still got curlers in her hair. Couldn't you see that on national television? I said, well, what do you want to do with this 11 million, honey? She said, give it to me. She walked over the trash can, threw it in. She said, you know, even if I knew I could win it, I, didn't want, I wouldn't want it because I think 11 million dollars would be enough to ruin me. <laughs> and she said, I don't need that. You know, there's a sense in which every Christian comes to that place in his life. I belong to the Lord, and the Lord is my lot. The Lord is my portion, and he is adequate, and he is enough for 1997. He doesn't give me anything else. God is enough, and I belong to the Lord. The last blessing in Ephesians chapter 1 is in verse 14. And in verse 14, you see a fascinating picture of God's work in us when the scripture says that uh, after we trusted in verse 13, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, the, the seventh thing I want to thank God for is his seal on my life and on your life. His seal. He's a seal. Now, actually, there are two pictures here. One is a seal of the spirit of promise, and the other is the guarantee or the pledge or the down payment of our inheritance. Uh, and let's look at that for a moment. When we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, there are three things that means. First, the seal is a sign of authenticity. The mark is, I come from somewhere. When a Calvin Klein gene has a Calvin Klein label, that's the mark of authenticity. Now, we were in New York a couple of weeks ago, and they were standing on the corners with these fake books open, and they were filled with Rolex watches for 25 bucks. And I looked at them, and I think they really were Rolex watches. They had all the seals on them. They really were. And they put them in books, so if the police come by, they can shut the book, and now it becomes personal property, and the police can't examine what they have in their hand. You can buy a Rolex watch for 25 bucks on the street corners, and it's real. It's got the seal of authenticity, but it has been stolen. <laughs> Did you know that? Want a Rolex watch? Ever been there, Bob? Yeah, you've seen that. I have the Holy Spirit given to me when I receive Christ, and that Spirit is my seal that I'm an authentic. Authentic Christian, his work in me and his work in you says you belong to him. When he convicts you, 
Oh, I must not be a Christian. I'm under conviction. No, you've got it exactly opposite. That's a sign you are God's convicting you. Secondly, a seal is a sign of ownership. We go in and we cut our social security number on the TV and the silver or whatever. So if it's ever robbed, we'll know that is mine. It's got my seal on it. That belongs to me. God put his Holy Spirit in us. And it's a seal that he owns us. I belong to him. But thirdly, the seal of the Holy Spirit is a sign of sponsorship. When I was studying for this message, I took my pen out of my hand and I looked at it and there was Glorietta Conference Center, Southern Baptist Conference Center with the address to write for a reservation and the telephone number to call for a reservation. I said, wait a minute, this is my pen. I own it. But the name of Glorietta is on there because they sponsored that pen. And because you have the Holy Spirit sealed, having sealed your life everywhere you go, it's the proof that you're not only authentic, you're not only owned by God, but he sponsors you. He's behind you. He stands behind every promise. He stands behind every step of faith. He stands behind every move. He stands behind every circumstance. He is going before you in every providence because you've got his stamp on you, your seal, and he sponsors you. He's behind you. You'll never get out on a limb, but what God is there to catch you. You'll never get down the road, but what God has made a way out. You'll never get in the corner, but what the Lord has not made an escape hatch because you're his. You belong to him. And he stands behind you. He's put his seal on you. And he's given you a down payment. The Holy Spirit is a taste of God now for what it will be like when we get to glory. My wife can make a mean buttermilk chocolate cake with chocolate icing. It's moist as can be. And a big lump of low-fat vanilla ice cream on top of chocolate cake. It's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Today's her dad's birthday. He's going to come over for lunch. He's going to be 84. She was making the cake yesterday and she had forgotten to sift the sugar for the icing. And I said, honey, that's my job. Take care of you. I've got my name on you. I chose you. I'm going to meet your needs. I said, I'll fix that. Don't worry about it. Even if you forgot to sift the powdered sugar for the icing. And besides, I wanted a little taste as a down payment of what was to come today. That was a good excuse. And I got out my milkshake maker and put that little whirly thing up there. And I just took her pan and I whirled all around in that chocolate icing. And do you know in about a minute and a half, it took out all the lumps from forgetting to sift the powdered sugar. She said, honey, you're a miracle man. I said, I am that. <laughs> and I handed her back the pan and guess what's the next thing I did? I took that little thing out of the milkshake maker and I stuck the whole thing in my mouth. <laughs> and I licked that baby clean as a down payment of what I'm going to get in about two hours. Amen? Amen. We're going to open up that cake with 84 on it, candles. And we're going to get the real thing. God has put his spirit in us.
And when we sing, as we sang this morning, holy, 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 and my heart was caught up to glory, I thought, I can't even imagine what it will be in heaven. I can't even imagine, Francis, what Bob is, is doing now in glory, singing there, and the joy and the ecstasy he must be feeling in the presence of the Lord. But it's just a taste. What we have here is just a taste of what he has for us. I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I have his seal, I have his inheritance himself. I'm a part of his plan. I've experienced his kindness. I'm adopted into his family. I've been loved and accepted in the beloved. And I have every spiritual blessing Jesus ever had. It's available to me. And it's available to you through Christ Jesus. Jesus.